0: Welcome to The Responsible Podcast. Your host, Stanley J. Targos III, is the founder of The Responsible Brand and The Responsible Network. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to The Responsible Podcast. This is your host, Stanley J. Targos III. We're here today to discuss a great topic, and the title of this is How Wealthy People Think. And the reason I like this topic and the reason we spent so much time talking about this is for years, our organization has put together a a napkin approach that we talk to families about called the five boxes. And the five boxes are the five areas that most people think about, but work in reverse order than how they should actually be worked with in their financial lives. So what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna break this down for how wealthy people think and let all of us, myself included, understand what's different about how wealthy people think than how I think. And how can I apply what wealthy people do to my life so that I can have more control, so that I can have better success, so that I can have better stability and security moving forward in my life for me and my family. One thing is for sure between wealthy people and average people is we all have the same 24 hours in our in our day to work with. We all have the same seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's what we do with it that makes a difference. It's also interesting to find how people can make sixty, eighty thousand $80,000 a year and retire as millionaires, and some people make two, three, four hundred thousand $400,000 a year and retire broke. So there's clearly something that's going on that's a little different than how wealthy people think, and wealth is not just a matter of size of your nest egg or balance in your account. Wealth is a mentality and i believe that wealthy mentality is what we need to start adopting as individuals as families in our cities states neighborhoods and in our country if we adapt the or adopt again or adapt the wealthy mentality that we had 200 years ago i think we're going to see the change that we want to have happen in our country for everybody but starting with us as individuals and in our own family where it impacts us the most So the responsible brand is not trying to make everyone a millionaire and win the lottery or something like that. We are trying to get everyone to the point where they can be the best stewards of the gifts that they've been given inside their own economy so they can use them for what's important for them first and then take care of everyone else second. So we know that money is one of the biggest issues that people talk about. I think the Bible talks about money more than any other topic for a reason. It's been, an, it's been an issue for thousands of years. But it's not changing, and it's not going to change moving forward. And it doesn't matter who's in control, who's in office, who's not in office. All of those are sidebar conversations. They do have an impact on what we're able to do with our money, or how much of our money we're allowed to keep. But that really isn't the conversation today. The conversation today is how wealthy people think And that thought process is important. So I'm going to talk about something. And I'm going to start with the wealthy person. And the question that I have is, when wealthy people, and we're going to assume that everybody starting this conversation is making your mortgage payment. You're making your car payment. You're putting food on the table. This isn't how wealthy people think in a a mentality of scarcity. This is how wealthy people think with what they have above and beyond their basic fixed expenses or their fixed needs. So let's get into this. Once your core basic fixed expenses are covered, what do you do next? We're going to tackle this question from a wealthy perspective first. And I'm going to share how I came up with this. This isn't me sitting in a room one day philosophizing about what I think I want to talk about. I actually interviewed probably 15 or 20 of the top 100 or 200 financial advisors across the country when I was in my career early getting started. And I've maintained that conversation over the last 20 years with people who work with high net worth individuals to find out what do they do differently? How do they think? What strategies are they applying? Because what's good enough for people who are wealthy is good enough for me. It's good enough for my family. It's good enough for my friends. It's good enough for the people that I come across every day, the average American. So when the wealthy people have money above and beyond their fixed expenses, what's the first thing they do with it? When I asked that question, across the board, I got answers that said, invest in your family. And I thought that's an odd way to take extra money and invest it in your family. What does your family have, a mutual fund? Do you have a family foundation? Does your family own a stock portfolio? Is your family mining Bitcoin or something? What is your family doing that we can invest in? And they said, Stan, that's a great question. He said, we're not talking about investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. We're talking about investing in the family. So, well, what do you mean by investing in the family? Investing in the family is taking your extra dollars and putting it in the family where the government can't control it, where it's not at risk, and where it's guaranteed to have an exponential multiplier on what it means to the next generation. They said, how do you think the wealthy people transition wealth from one generation to the next? In their stock portfolio? No, that's not the first thing they do. In an islet? Nope, that's not the first thing they do. In real estate, nope, that's not the first thing they do. They buy an insurance program that has a tax-free, protected, guaranteed benefit that goes to the next generation. That's the first thing they do, and they do it as young as possible because it's as cheap as possible to get early on. And they're not buying term insurance and investing the difference. They're buying something that's going to be there when they need it. And this responsible conversation is not about life insurance. This is about how wealthy people think. But it's interesting that you and I, the average Americans, are going to say, I don't want to do that. That sounds like a cost or a fee or an expense. Why would I waste my money? I hate insurance. Well, we just talked about we insure things of value. Go back and listen to that. So let's take the emotion out of the discussion. Let's not drive a pitchfork into this conversation and start separating people out. Let's just think of how wealthy people think and why they think that way. So wealthy people invest in the family because it has a guarantee. It's going to be there. Currently, it's tax-free. They know what's going to be passed on to the next generation. There's not a risk involved in that from their perspective. They can take pennies on the dollar and get exponential growth on what they leave to their kids, grandkids, and they can figure out how to protect it. They can figure out what to do with it. They can figure out the structure to put around it, but they invest in their family first before they do anything else. We talked about the priority on wealthy people and how they value family first and foremost as well. Maybe there's a direct correlation doesn't mean that I don't love my family because I'm not investing in my family. It doesn't mean that I don't love my, my family and the church and I don't love God because I'm not investing in my family. It just means that I'm not wired that way. Based on the information I'm getting, I'm doing something differently. And I need to change that mindset so that I can start thinking like a wealthy person. So I can start keeping and controlling more of what I have. So I can not only affect my current lifestyle, but the lifestyle of the future generations coming down the line. So I said, once they invest in their family, they're not taking all their money and and buying this stuff. They're, They're buying a portion. It might not even be 10, 20, 30%, whatever the number is, it doesn't matter. But the first thing they do is taking care of their family. Once they're done taking care of the family and they have extra money because people earn money, you take care of things, you're responsible, you pay down your debt, you do all of that, and then you start having extra cash flow. The first thing you do isn't go out and buy a boat or a yacht and then figure out how to put gas in it. No, you take care of your family first. Doesn't mean you, you stop going out to eat. It means you have a budget for lifestyle and you live within that means then you take care of your family. Once your family's taken care of, what's the next thing that wealthy people do? They invest in businesses. They're taking their skills, their talents, their life worth, their relationships, their network, and they're investing in a business. They're not buying 100 shares of Ford GM or Chrysler or Tesla or something like that. They're not buying Bitcoin. They're taking some money and they're buying percentage ownerships in businesses. Businesses that they can drive forward. Businesses that they can impact. Businesses that they can use their skills and talents to make it worth more than when they bought in. With the expectation that every so often those businesses get sold, transitioned, or the person who you bought into buys you out. And you've taken a lump sum that you've bought into, 10, 20, 30, 100,000, whatever the number is, and over a two to five year period turned it into a five to seven times multiplier and cashed out. It's not buying into a business so that you can hang your hat on it and say, I own an electric Light bulb company. I own a shrimp company. I own a real estate company. I own this or that or the other. It's I'm buying in with the expectation of buying out or getting bought out and getting a lump sum. I want a large lump sum. I want to take 100,000, turn it into 200 or 500,000 in a two to five year period. A lump sum, because then I can do something else with that. And if I do that every three to five years, I'm going to have big lump sums coming into my economy that I can do things with. The more my net worth grows, the more I might want to invest in my family. I want to invest in different pieces of the family. I want to invest in different generations in the family. I want to set a budget aside and invest in the next businesses. Maybe I want to do two businesses at the same time. Maybe I've got a team around me and I'm starting to develop that business development team that brings opportunities to the table and they're running their own little version of Shark Tank within their family and friends and network and they're playing fair. They're not trying to rob their friends and family. They're trying to invest with their friends and family, create businesses that they can increase the lifestyle of the people around them while they're increasing their lifestyle. Wealthy people aren't greedy. Wealthy people are the most generous people i know they give back more ways than one and investing in businesses is one way where they have the ability to take people they know and invest in those businesses and bring value and growth and profitability to their friends and family So they invest in their family, then they invest in businesses after they've got those two buckets full. Because you don't want to have all of your eggs in one basket. You need some diversity. Wealthy people, they invest in their family, then they invest in businesses. Those two buckets are going good. When they have extra money, they get cash out of somewhere. They have extra cash flow coming because the business is producing revenue while they're waiting to get the exit strategy. Their income is increasing. They need something else to do. They need tax advantages. They need to let their money work hard for them. They're not just putting it in the bank, earning 1%. They're not stuffing it in the mattress. They're being good stewards of the gifts that they're given. I think the Bible says, if I can trust you with little, I can trust you with a lot. Those are great core characteristics, character values, and integrity-driven values that we need to implement. So once they've got their family and their businesses running, the third thing that wealthy people invest in is real estate. And they're buying income-driven properties. Properties that go up in value. Properties that they can invest in. But what's interesting is you listen to the the talking heads on TV and they're going to tell you, pay cash for stuff. Pay cash for your house. Pay cash for your duplex. Pay cash for your real estate. Pay off all of your investments. Well, At a certain point, that might be right. But while you're building your portfolio, you don't need to take risks that could ruin your whole picture, but you need to understand leverage. Wealthy people understand leverage. Go talk to the millionaire or billionaire that you know. And you probably know them. You probably just don't know they're millionaires or billionaires because they're not out driving Bugattis and Lambos every day. They're driving the same kind of vehicles that you're driving. They're living in modest homes. They take vacations like you take vacations, but their skill set, their discipline, and their vision is different than yours. They're not the superstar who wants to get on the cover of Fame and Fortune magazine. They're the people who have personal desires who are being good stewards of the gifts they're given driving forward. And ask them, when you buy a piece of property, and it's a a $300,000 piece of property, Are you taking out your checkbook, writing a check for 300,000 to buy that building so you can drive the value forward and sell it for 330,000 in two years, make 10% on your money? No way. They're putting the least amount down to control the asset. And if they put 10% down, and put 30,000 down on that $300,000 property and three years later they sell it for 330,000, they've doubled their money. They got 100% return on the 30,000 they put down when they sold it. And they still had access to $270,000 that they could do something else with. They had control of the cash. And I believe what Robert Kiyosaki said and I got I was privileged to see him speak he said if you see a property in a neighborhood that you think of buying don't buy one buy 10 Well if you got 300,000 and you buy one piece of property for 300,000 what you can't buy 10 for many years And I'm not giving you investment advice and real estate advice I'm just using math Maybe on your 300,000, you buy five properties and you still maintain 150,000 liquidity, but you own five pieces of property. And in those five pieces of property, you've got five different streams of income, five different tax benefits maybe, five different depreciations maybe. When you sell them, you've got five pieces of property that grew by 30,000 each. You've turned a $30,000 gain into a $150,000 gain. By understanding leverage, by being disciplined, by having a team around you. And wealthy people have teams around them. They're not making knee jerk decisions based on what they heard on TikTok. They've got a CPA who understands their personal situation, they've got a financial advisor who understands their specific situation, they've got a stockbroker who understands their specific situation. They've got an insurance person who understands their situation. They've got a legal person who understands how to protect it so that if they get sued, they don't lose everything that they've worked for. They have teams. So they invest in their family. They invest in business. They invest in real estate. After they've got those buckets, then they're investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Then they're opening the E-Trade account. Then they're taking the extra cash, cash, the money that they have not as much control over and letting someone else control the rate of return that they're going to get based on emotion or what the stock market says. And they're not taking 80% of their wealth and putting it in the market. They're taking an appropriate amount of what they have and letting it work for them differently. They're not all shooting for the moon. They're not all trying to buy... Bitcoin at 3,000, hoping it goes to 64,000. They've got a disciplined approach to how they do everything, a system, a strategy. Different than the average person. They're playing with money they can afford to lose. They got their business bringing in 10 grand a month and that's gonna sell for 300,000. They've got five real estate properties that are bringing in 500 bucks a month each that are gonna sell for 150,000. They're taking a couple, couple percentages and putting it at risk in the stock market because they don't have as much control over it. They don't control the taxable event when, it, when they sell something. They don't control the emotion that's driving something up or down. But they are investing in stocks, bonds, mutual funds. After they've done those four things and they've got extra money, they're investing in IRAs, 401ks, KEOs, Safe Harbors, and things of that nature. So why do the wealthy people work from the family to businesses to real estate to non-qualified stocks, bonds, and mutual funds to retirement accounts? Because they want to have more control over their money, they wanna have less risk on their money, and they want the ability to pay less taxes on their money. It leaves more money for their family than to Uncle Sam or the IRS. It lets them control their money more when an opportunity comes along like 2007, everyone else who paid off their house wasn't able to buy low on the real estate market. They say, all of this stuff just makes the rich richer and the poor poorer. Well, it's because wealthy people think differently. If you had access to $500,000 in 2007, eight, nine and 10, and you didn't have to go to the bank to get it out of your house, and you could buy something cheap, you might've bought 10 properties. In 2012 or 15 or 18, when those properties skyrocketed, or 2020, when they really skyrocketed, maybe you're selling and getting 100 times return on your money. Systems not gamed for wealthy people. The system's gamed for those people who take control. So now let's flip and see what the other side of the tracks look like, the spot where, where I lived for so long, the spot that I still battle with on a daily basis from a thought concept for how do I take what I've got and put it into the future when I'm struggling for, to, to pay for today. Well, here's what's interesting. The average person, when they get paid, first thing they do After they pay Uncle Sam so they can get a tax refund, notice tax refund isn't one of the things that wealthy people fund out of their own cash. They pay the minimum on taxes and let their investments, real estate deductions, give them a return on the back end. If you're getting a tax refund and you're a W-2, stop it. Uncle Sam's not an efficient place for your money. But after you pay Uncle Sam the first place that the average person puts money based on Susie and Dave and Rick and the talking heads and all the news media and and finance pages that you look at on the internet, take as much money as you can and put it in your 401k. In fact, if you're over 55, you can play catch up and put an extra five or six grand in, depending on the year and the taxes and what the government allows. Take as much as you can Put it in your 401k where you have the least amount of control over it and when you wanna have access to it, you've got taxes and if you're young enough, fees or penalties. The person managing and controlling the account inside your TSP, inside your 401k, might be one of the higher feed components of any investment that you own, but that's where you're gonna take your first bucket of money, put it in there, let it grow hopefully as much as possible throw it out as far into the future as possible, where it's worth less and taxed more, where you then can control it. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Because the people will tell you, you got to save taxes today by investing in your 401k. Well, they're not telling you the rest of the story. And if wealthy people invest in 401ks left the last spot, why is that the first spot the average person does? Why are we complaining that we don't have control over our money, we can't take advantage of the opportunities, and we're the highest tax people? Maybe we should look at how our money flows and start mirroring what wealthy people do. So once you fund your 401k up to the max that you can, regardless if you get a match or not, this is not that conversation, put as much money as you can in your 401k. Once that bucket's done, the average person, they get a raise at work, two, $300 a month and they say, you know what? I'm gonna be wealthy. I'm gonna finally open that E-Trade account. I'm finally gonna buy a fractional share of Bitcoin. I'm finally gonna buy 10 stocks every month. 200 bucks a month, I'm gonna put in that E-Trade account or Schwab account or whatever it is and I'm gonna own a stock portfolio. Wealthy people get rich by owning stocks, bonds and mutual funds, that's how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna put as much money as I can in my 401k, then I'm gonna buy stocks. Well, that sounds awesome. So you buy stocks, you watched your fractional Bitcoin go from $1,000 to $16,000, back down to $1,000. You weren't disciplined enough to sell it because it represented such a huge percentage of your net worth that you couldn't emotionally let go of it because you're gambling with money you shouldn't be gambling with. You're filling a bucket before it's time and you walked away without Scraping the gains off. You didn't have a system. You bought on emotion. You held on emotion. You wrote it down on emotion. Now you're gonna buy it and hold it until it comes back. Wonder why you can't buy the property when the market tanks. You can't buy the the stock that dropped to a dollar because there was a big shakeup and you know it's gonna rebound. You you can't take the kids on vacation because you're you don't want to sell your stock because that's 80 percent of your net worth. I get it. It's emotional. We talked about that emotion and the uh, emotion of money and the intimacy of money. That's one of those situations where we got to have boundaries around it. We need to play with the right amount of money at the right time for us. Once you overfund your 401k to the max, once you put a couple hundred bucks a month in that stock account account, You get a tax refund. Praise God. I got a tax refund. Five five grand, seven grand. I got my child tax credit. I got $14,000. What are you going to do with it? Buy a boat? No, you're going to be smart. You and your brother-in-law and your neighbor are going to go and buy a property. Buy a duplex between the three of you. And then you're going to not have the money to fix it up. You're going to sell your stock at a low point. You're going to pay capital gains on it. You're going to lose your portfolio to invest in the property because you got to paint it. You got to put a roof on it. You paid as much for it as possible. You put 50% down because that's what you were told to do, and you didn't save money to fix it. You didn't put money in reserves for the nine months out of the next three years where it wasn't rented. Where you rented to the wrong person. Or you didn't have the right attorney on your team to rent it and draw the contracts up. And now someone's squatting in your property for 90 days. A pandemic hits and you're required to keep them there without them paying rent. But you still got to make a mortgage payment. It's not the right order. We wonder why we struggle to get ahead is because we do things backwards. You finally realize that you're not a stockbroker, that your 401K is okay, you're not a real estate mogul, so you decide you're gonna invest in a business. So the business that you're going to invest in, the one you can afford to get into, you just lost money on the duplex, you lost money on your fractional Bitcoin, all your money in your 401k you don't have access to, and now you want to buy a business because that's the way you're going to make it work. So you buy four gumball machines and put them in a laundromat. Start small. I mean, you had money to buy the laundromat before you did the other stuff, but now you're just going to settle for it the gumball machines in the laundromat, which is better than nothing. Take your kids, teach them a lesson, teach them about business, let your kids own it. But it's not the business that's going to change your life unless you get a thousand laundromats to put four gumball machines in each of them. You're going to open a cigar shop at the golf course and and share the revenue with the golf course owner. That's a great business idea for a hobby. It's not going to change your life. How do you manage that when you don't have control over your money? And after you've Put all your money in the 401k and you don't have control over it without fees, penalties, taxes. You lost money in the market because you weren't emotional. You were emotional. You weren't unemotional. You didn't have logic behind it. You bought some property. You had to sell it at a low point because the pandemic hit and the stock market or the housing market crashed and the bubble hit and inflation hit. And now people can't pay you what you paid for because they're at 7% interest when you could have bought it at 4% interest even on an investment property. You go to sell it and you gotta split the losses between your neighbor and your brother-in-law. Your gumball machine takes $1,000 to invest in for the machines and 100 bucks a month for the gumballs and now you're counting quarters, which is fantastic and there's a coin shortage because people don't wanna use pennies, nickels, dimes because of germs or something and now your gumball machine is going down the drain and you say, you know what? I'm I'm finally gonna invest in my family. Now 20 years have gone by. It's time for you to invest in your family, and it's expensive. And instead of getting a million dollars, you're able to get 400000 which is better than nothing. And then you finally have that aha of, I know why wealthy people don't invest in their family last. Why wealthy people invest in their family first at the youngest age possible. You wake up when you're 80 years old and you look back on your life and you think, I've had great memories. I've done the best I could with the information I had at the time. I wish someone would have taken the time to show me how wealthy people think so I could have at least made an educated decision on what I want for me and my family. Most people, They get lulled to sleep when they start working. They're on autopilot. I'm putting money in a 401k. I'm taking a vacation. Life's pretty good. I got a $10,000 in a savings account. I'm 55 years old. My kids are out of school. I'm paying off the last parent loan by the time I'm 60. My kids moved out. They're getting married. They're starting to have kids. I got 10 years left to fund my retirement in an aggressive way. And I want to leave something for my kids. What are they going to do? Your kids want your house? Sometimes. Most of the time, no. The minute you die, they sell the house because they don't want to spend the time to fix it. And you realize the value of locking in what you leave to your family at a young age. Just because you set it up at a young age doesn't mean you have to keep it. It just means you have options and choices when it comes time to give it. Spend it while you're alive. Leave it to your kids or grandkids. If your kids don't have kids and you see the end of the line, take all of your family on a huge vacation every two years to create living memories. But you can't do that if you didn't set it up in the very beginning. You're at the mercy of your circumstances. You're at the mercy of your surrounding environment. You're, you are not in control. So how does this work for the average family? The average family has less control over their money higher risk on their money, and they pay more taxes on their money. So we wanna take what wealthy people do, maybe take a zero off the end of what wealthy people are using to fund it. Maybe wealthy people are funding it with 10 grand a month or eight grand a month. Maybe you're gonna fund it with 1,000 bucks or 800 bucks a month. Doesn't matter. What matters is we're starting, and we're starting at the youngest age possible, today. Don't wait, start today. I love the Chinese proverb. When's the best time to plant a tree? 50 years ago. When's the next best time to plant a tree? Today. So let's take this information and let's understand that wealthy people work a certain way because they value control. They don't want risk. They don't want to pay taxes. They're not evil because they've played by the rules. They're smart because they paid the price to have people teach them how to do things the right way to keep them in control, have less risk, and pay less taxes. Well, Warren Buffett pays less taxes than his secretary. Well, his secretary should be paying attention to what Warren Buffett does and pick his brain. It's not her. It's not his fault his secretary pays more taxes. She's probably taking as much money as possible and putting it in the 401k. Investing in Berkshire Hathaway instead of taking what Mr. Buffett does and duplicating Berkshire Hathaway in her own life. It's absolutely amazing to me with all the information that we have out there that we can't figure out that wealthy people do think different, differently they do things differently and they get different results. But we're gonna keep doing the same thing. We're gonna keep trusting the news and the media. We're gonna keep wondering why why we're investing in Fidelity and Franklin Templeton and Livestrong, but we're not gonna pay attention to why we see commercials on that investment resource that we have. They're paying for the advertisement. There's a reason we're hearing about it. It doesn't make it bad, it just means we need to have perspective. You think Uncle Sam's gonna put out a a PBS news conference or a public service announcement on how to save taxes? It's their only way to generate revenue. Why is the government sponsoring the 401Ks and promoting IRAs and increasing the limits that we can fund these things with? Is it so you and I can make more money? No way. So they can have a larger pool of money to tax from. I used to tell this all the time. Go back to 1984, Tax Reform Act. They got rid of pensions. They introduced the IRA and 401Ks. Companies shifted the risk from their asset sheet to your own asset sheet as an individual. Back then you could put 35, 45, 65, 7,500 in your 401K. Fast forward 20 years, it was 10 grand, 11 grand, 12 grand, 14 grand, 15 grand, 17,500, 19,500, 21,500, 25,500 with the catch up provision. They're allowing you to put more money in your 401k because they know you need more money to live on when you retire, right? Wrong. They need larger pools of money to tax from. And I know you think I'm sounding crazy, and I know I'm passionate about this, but the government's not the most efficient place to let spend your money. You're more efficient controlling your money than you are letting Uncle Sam control your money. Who sponsored the Tax Reform Act? Probably Wall Street. I mean, that's a, that's a guess. That's not factual. But it would make sense, wouldn't it? Why is every TSP and, and 401k provider invested in and taught by Fidelity and and TIA Cref and all these great companies because every dollar that you put in they control they make one to four percent on or something on why would they encourage you to put money in and the employers to match it it's more money for them to control you should have a certain amount in your 401k but just as we've seen with wealthy people it's not the only place you put as much money as you can in So I know it's been a little crazy, I I get excited about this because I see so many people who are transferring away hundreds of thousands of dollars over 30 or 40 years and getting to retirement and feeling broke and wondering how do wealthy people do it? So wealthy people invest in their family first, they invest in things they can control like businesses. They invest in things that are limited resources like real estate. Then they invest in stocks and bonds with what they have the ability to lose. Finally, they invest in 401ks and retirement accounts. So if you're doing things different, reach out to your responsible brand coach and ask some questions. Have a great discussion. Follow the podcast, share this with others. The more information we get out, the faster we can achieve our goal. Remember, the mission that we're working behind is changing the landscape of America one family at a time by empowering the leader to make better decisions based on facts, not fear. And I hope this has had an impact for you. I hope you're thinking differently. I hope you're questioning what's going on in your life. I hope you're engaging in a conversation with your responsible brand coach. And I hope this has blessed you. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in. For new and relevant information just like this, follow us wherever you get your podcasts and interact with the responsible community on all social media platforms. We'll see you soon.